But I, I'm so glad that, that you're here today. I'm so awfully proud to, to pastor this church. I want to tell you a story of a guy who was uh, climbing up a canyon and then started uh, hiking along the canyon, really steep canyon. He was having a good time until he stumbled over the edge. He was by himself, so unfortunately he stumbled over the edge, lost his footing. Luckily, several feet down as he's kind of stumbling and falling, he grabs a branch and it kind of temporarily holds him up. He immediately begins yelling, hey, somebody help me. Can anybody hear me? And you kind of get the picture. Um, nothing. Didn't hear anybody. So he keeps yelling, somebody please help me. Finally, somebody says, I can hear you. Are you there? And he says, yes. Who are you? Where are you? And he says, I'm the Lord. He said, God? He said, yes, I'm God. He said, well, listen, if you'll help me, I promise I'll do whatever it takes. I'll, I'll stop sinning. I'll go to church every week. I'll do whatever it takes. I'll always serve you. You know, the things that we all say when we get into trouble or, or tempted to say at least. And God says, whoa, hold off on the promises. Let me just, let's help you get down from there. And then, and then we can talk. He says, okay, tell me, tell me what I need to do. He says, all right, this is what you need to do. Hear me close. Let go of the branch. He says, what? You want to let go? This is the only thing holding me up right now. He says, listen, just let go and trust me. Long pause, and then the next thing you hear is, is anybody else up there? Somebody please help me. <laughs> Has God ever told you to do something, and when he said it, and you knew he said it, you were like, that's insane. And, and you're talking about God, so you're kind of careful in your mind, but inside you're thinking, that is nuts. Why would God tell me to do that? Can we just get honest as human beings and admit that some of the things that we read that God says do in the Bible, and as we're praying and as we're listening to him talk and speak into our lives, some of the things that he leads us to do and asks us to do makes no sense to our human selves? And if you're a human being in the, in the room today in breathing air, yes, that's the answer for you today. And the fact is, is that God, the Bible says it, and we know this to be true, that God is not a human being. I mean, that's pretty simple, right? And because he's not a human being, he doesn't think like a human being or act like a human being, which we all are. So when God, the divine, the perfect, who's not a human being, who the Bible says that we can't even begin as human beings to grasp the depth of his wisdom and knowledge, when he says something, we gotta, we got to probably, probably make good sense. If we stop trying to think in terms of making sense, a divine command from a perfect God with human reasoning. Would, would that make sense? So we can automatically know that some of the things God says isn't going to make sense to us. Sometimes he gives commands that make no sense. And, and one thing that we can know is that the things that God says, his commands that he gives to us, they're for our good. And sometimes that takes faith because it doesn't make sense. But we can believe that the things that God commands us to do are for our benefit. And Psalms 19 verse 8 says that the commandments of the Lord are right bringing joy to the heart. The commandments of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living, joy and wisdom and clarity. This is one of the, some of the things that the Lord's commands do when we obey. Verse 11 goes on to say that there's a great reward for those who obey them. So, so why am I bringing this up in a series called Grateful? We're in week two of the series called, called Grateful. The reason is not only can we find joy and insight in keeping God's commands, but if, if that's the case, if they benefit us, then I believe without a shadow of a doubt that in time, if we obey them, then we're going to learn to be grateful for his commands. If they benefit us, we don't have to know all the answers right away. But if we obey and we know that his commands are going to benefit us, and we're at some point, if not right away, we're going we're gonna to begin to understand that, hey, we can, we can be grateful for the things that God commands us to do. Have you ever looked back and maybe made a phone call to your, to your parents and said, man, am I 
grateful that you raised me that specific way. Or I'm so glad that they actually did that for me, even though I hated it at the time. The truth is that we can be grateful for God's commands, even if we don't understand them while we obey. Last week, we talked about how grateful we can be for fresh starts in our lives. And we talked specifically uh, about the fresh starts that God gives us, but, but also uh, sometimes when we think about the fresh starts that God gives us in our, in our souls when we first come to him. And we begin to realize that, hey, our souls have changed. We don't just have a new situation in our lives, but our eternities are changed. The condition of my soul is different. And so if we think through this series in terms of a trajectory, it starts with that, that fresh start in Christ that we're thankful for. And the very next thing is about baptisms. And I want to talk about God's command today to be baptized. Um, we celebrate baptisms around here. It's exciting. In fact, on November 18th, uh, we're going to do baptisms again. And we want you to sign up if you've never been baptized. We want you to be baptized. And it's exciting when the people go down in the water and they come up and we, we know what it signifies in their souls and the, the declaration they're making. It's exciting and we celebrate that. But it's so celebratory, I, sometimes I feel like that we can be tempted to think that baptism is an option. It's a great option for them. I'm glad they did it. But really, Jesus commanded us to do it. <laughs> it it's not just some great option. It's it's a command. Jesus said, do it. When, when the church first started, not the bridge, I'm talking the church, Jesus followers, the church that were following him way back when the church first started, Peter, this guy named Peter, he was one of the 12 disciples, just an average Joe, doubted a lot at times. In fact, he still doubted after the three years he spent with Jesus. Jesus dies. He goes to heaven. Uh, he, he was raised again first. That's important to know. Um, but Peter's there, gets filled with the Holy Spirit. He, he stands up and preaches the very first sermon uh, for the church. And he, he, the Acts 2, 41 tells us what he said. And it said, those who accepted his message were baptized. They were baptized. It said about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So the very first message that ever gets preached, 3,000 people commit their lives to Jesus. 3,000 people get baptized. Now, that's, that's a lot of work. Can you imagine the logistics of baptizing 3,000 people, actually doing that? Not long after that was done, 5,000 more people believe in Jesus Christ. 5,000 more people were baptized. What, what does that look like? I mean, we read that story, and we read the stories in the Scripture, but do we ever stop and think, you know, what does it take to baptize that, that many people? Pastor Jim was a missionary in the Philippines long ago, uh, years ago, he, he describes what it was like to baptize, not 3,000 or 5,000, but almost a whole village, which was only a few hundred. But he, I said, well, what was that like? He said, well, we'd baptize some and baptize and then get up and, and go take a break and then baptize some more and then go eat lunch and then baptize some more and eat a snack and baptize some more. He said, we were exhausted <laughs> by the end of the day. It was completely and utterly exhausting. Uh, in these types of cases, baptism actually takes a toll physically. Not to mention the people that are actually getting baptized, they have to get wet in front of everybody who's not. <laughs> you know, it's like this weird thing. Why, why do all that? It's kind of a big step. Um, well, to understand why, we have to go back a little bit. Right before Jesus went to heaven, he had died, he had risen again, and he said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And if somebody ever says that, and it's true, which he's the only one that said it, and it is true, I think we should listen to what he has to say next, you know? All authority has been given to him. He says this in Matthew 28, verse 19. He said, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. 
So why do baptisms? Why did they do it? Because Jesus told them to. Jesus spoke the words, do this. And so the church begins and they do it. And they baptize all these people, thousands in the first month. They're, they're, they're preaching the message. People are believing it. And they're baptizing them. And I, I just stop and I wonder, I think about all those baptisms that are going on. And I wonder if anybody at any moment thought, why did Jesus ask us to do this? <laughs> you know, this I want people to know Jesus. I want people to come to this knowledge of him. But wouldn't it be easier just to drop the baptism thing? Wouldn't it be easier just to tell them, you know, maybe to just quote some scriptures? You ever remember doing memory verses a long time ago and you had to memorize certain Bible verses? Good practice, but maybe we could just have people do that. And they can memorize certain things and that would kind of be the declaration. Or, or maybe we could have them make a pilgrimage to the Holy Land. A lot of the people that were believing at that time, they weren't from Israel, so maybe we could just have them come here. That, that would do it. Or, or maybe we could just have them wash the pastor's car and that would be good. No takers. Okay, I just thought I'd ask and throw that in there, see if it get it subliminally. But why did Jesus ask them to, to take them to water and push their head under and bring them back up? What's, what's the big deal? Let me ask this. Do you believe that everything that God asks you to do has a benefit for you? Now, let me answer that for you. Everything that God asks you to do has a benefit for you. Everything. And so if that's the case, then we have to believe that baptism does too. I mean, if you think about his commands, think about just some of the, the top 10 commandments in the Old Testament that, that he gave them back then. Uh, when God says, don't steal, I don't think God was trying to deprive them of the adventure of being a thief. You know, God was saying, hey, if you're going to have relationships with each other, then trust is a big factor. And when you steal things, it doesn't build trust. It actually demotes it. Or when he says, hey, don't murder. You know, he's saying, hey, I think life would be a little bit better if you don't kill each other. <laughs> I'm saying that a little bit lighthearted. Uh, but the point is, is that when he says go and make disciples and baptize them, there's got to be a benefit for us. Uh, maybe you've never come up with the reason why, why baptism is important or why you should do it. But today I want to share three reasons why we can be grateful for Jesus' command to be baptized. And three needs that we have, maybe you didn't know you had them, but three needs that we have innately as human beings that baptism meets. And I just want to talk about those three as, for the rest of our time today. The first need is this. Baptism meets our need to express our faith. Meets our need to express our faith. You might not realize it, but you have the innate need inside of you to express the important decisions in your life that you make. You do. My brother called me the other day and said, hey, guess what I got? I said, what? He said, I got me a new truck. <laughs> I said, you did? He said, yeah, you need to come check it out. And so why is it that he drives from where he is across town to show me the new truck? Or why is it that, in this particular case, I drove across town to look at his new truck? Why is it that he calls me sometimes and says, hey, check out this new thing that I've, I figured out on this new truck I got? Why? Something exciting happened, and he had to express it. One of my favorite stories having to deal with this was uh, a story about my dad. He had a job before where he traveled a lot. He was a regional manager of a company, and he was in LAX airport in California. And uh, he calls me on the East Coast, and he says, hey, he said, have you ever heard of a guy named Ben Styler? And I went, what, who? He said, Ben Styler, some kind of actor or something. He's in movies. And I said, but you mean Ben Stiller? He said, yeah, 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 that, that, that's it. I said, yeah, I, I know Ben Stiller. I said, I've seen him in, in movies before. He's a pretty, uh, pretty popular actor. He said, yeah, well, that, that's it. I just met him. I said, you did? He said, yeah, we talked for like 30 minutes. I said, how'd you manage to do that? He said, well, his wife accidentally cut in front in, in line 
in the coffee line, and uh, she felt so bad, she apologized, and, and then she ended up buying my coffee, and then Ben came over, and so we get to talking. And I said, that's, that's pretty cool. Um, and so I said, How, what happened? Evidently, the whole conversation gets kicked off when Dad looks at one of the most famous actors of the time and says, so what do you do for a living? <laughs> and he said, I'm an actor. He said, well, I'm a regional service manager. Very nice to meet you. And so they, they get to talking. I think he realized something was up when people kept going by taking pictures and shouting out at Ben. He realized, hey, this has to be more to this. But I want you to think about this. He had, an, he had something exciting happen, and he had to express it. How many times have you been in a conversation where it started like this? You're never going to believe what happened to me. Maybe you've heard somebody say that, or maybe you've said it yourself. In the most simple things in life, when something exciting happens, when something significant happens, we have this need to express it, and we do. How much more when you find peace with God in your soul through Jesus? That, that your life has been completely changed. You don't just want to express it. You need to express it. it there's something inside of you that, that has to express this newfound life that you have. In the scriptures, in the gospels, we read where Jesus touched so many people. Uh, there was one instance where there was a woman at, the, at, at this well getting water. She had this, this fresh start in Jesus Christ. And she ran back to her town and told everybody. She had to express it. Come see the man that knows everything about me. The town ends up coming back, sees Jesus, has an encounter with him for themselves. The whole town gets turned over, and they believe in Jesus. Something ha happened. She had to express her faith. Uh, there was another story where in Luke 18, there's this man who was blind, and Jesus healed him. And immediately, the Bible says, he began praising Jesus. Other people around him begin seeing this expression. And the Bible says that they saw it, were moved, and they began to pray, uh, express praise too. He had to express the faith when he had this encounter with Jesus. In that first sermon that, pre that Peter preached, 3,000 people believe in Jesus Christ. And it's, it's, they didn't just say, hey, it, it's, it's, it's not just about me hearing this message and being moved. I have to express my faith. And the reason why we know that is because they asked Peter. In Acts 2, 37, they said, brothers, what should we do? The Bible says the message pierced their hearts. And they, they asked the question, we've got to do something. How do we express this? What do we do? And so Peter tells them in verse 38, he says, each of you must repent. That means do 180, turn. And he, he specifies, turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. That day, 3,000 of them believed and expressed that belief through baptism. Now, I need you to understand something. And I've, I've said this before, but you've got to hear me. Baptism, the, the, the act of baptism does not save your soul. Their souls were saved because they believed, and their souls were saved out of faith, and they believed in Christ and turned to him, and out of God's great mercy, he saved their souls. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 says, for it's by grace, that's unmerited favor that God gives you, it's by grace that you've been saved. It's by grace that you've been saved if you're sitting here as a believer of Jesus Christ. Through faith, not this from yourselves. You can't do it by yourself. He said, it's the gift of God. So I'm not saying baptism saves you. I'm not saying baptism saved them. It doesn't make you right with God. What I am saying is that baptism is the way that they declared their newfound faith. And it sent a clear message to everybody who saw and to everybody who heard about what they did. And it sends that same clear message for everyone who you meet and every person that sees what you do. First Peter says that it's a pledge towards a, a good conscience. It's a pledge toward God that says, I'm a new creation that everybody sees. You have an innate, innate need to express your faith. And baptism 
meets that need, and that's something that you can be grateful for. Baptism also meets our need of a milestone event. Uh, whether you know it or not, you have a need inside of you to celebrate uh, the big events in your life in order to remember their significance. And people celebrate these types of milestones all the time in different ways, uh, through special birthdays or a marriage ceremony. We kind of do it up big. Why? We're celebrating that milestone in the relationship. Um, milestone birthdays. There's a reason why your 25th and 50th wedding anniversary look different and celebrate different and why you feel different about it. Why? Because it's a milestone. And we have this innate need to celebrate big things um, that are milestones in our lives. Some people go too far with milestones um, and they, they seem crazy. And sometimes it makes no sense to everybody else. Uh, for example, I was invited to a Barbie doll wedding once. I'm not kidding. <laughs> and milestone for two plastic toys. <laughs> they, they've never looked happier, I just got to say, when I was there. Uh, it was a little girl's idea, but the parents actually took it kind of to the next step and did the invite list and did the decorations and, and the food, and I had to dress up. It was like a whole thing. And I watched these two plastic toys be paraded down the aisle toward the altar, made of cardboard, construction paper, and glitter. And they get down to the altar, and I'm looking at this whole thing, and I'm, I'm kind of trying not to laugh. Um, and all I can think of is, is, is these two will never have to talk through their problems. They're, just, they're never going to have to do that. Um, but it was worth it because there was cake at the end. But, but, but sometimes people go to extremes to celebrate milestones. And we do some pretty crazy things to celebrate milestones too, whether you believe it or not. Why do you think you wear such ridiculous clothes when you graduate? I mean, you, you would never be caught dead. Would you go out for pizza and that? No, you would never go out like that wearing a, the ugliest gown you've ever can imagine in your life and a square hat with a tassel on it. But for some reason, if it's tied to a milestone event in your life, you will pay big money for it and you will invite everyone that you love and care about to come watch you parade across the stage wearing this ugly thing. Why? Because we celebrate and we're, we're, we're wired to celebrate things that are important to us and events that have significance in our lives. And so as Christians, we need milestone events. We need baptism. It's a milestone event to celebrate what God has done in our lives. Without it, I would be bold enough to say that it's easy to look back on what we did, the decision that we made, and, and it lose its significance and somehow be tempted to say that what we did is not real. Maybe that's, that, that, that's not the same for everybody sometimes, but, but if we're not careful, if we don't do what Jesus said do and be baptized and have this innate need in us to be met uh, of a milestone event in our Christian life, the temptation could be to look back and go, when the, when the temptation comes and the rationales, rationalities start to, rationalizations, we start to get tempted to make them. The, the temptation is to go, well, I didn't really go all the way. So I'm, I, I'm probably not a Christian, or I probably haven't made that commitment. Romans chapter 6, Paul is talking about being wishy-washy when it comes to going back and forth to sin in our lives and how baptism represents the significant moment where we finally decide once and for all to be done with sin. In verses 1, he says, so what do we do? Do we keep on sinning so that God can forgive? He said, I should hope not. Then he uses kind of an illustration so we get it. He says, he says we, if we've left the country where sin is sovereign, then how can we still live in our old house there? Like we've left. How can we still live there? Or, or don't you realize that we packed up and left there for good? 
And he's thinking like symbolically, he's saying that's, that's what happened whenever you were baptized. We went under the water, we left the old country of sin behind. And when we came up out of the water, we entered into this new country called grace. And that's Jesus' grace that he pours into our life. He said it's, it's a new life in a new land. He's saying don't look back at your decision to follow Jesus like it wasn't that important. And when you publicly announce your decision to follow Jesus through baptism, it solidifies something in you. You're declaring something. You're saying something out loud. I have left my old way of doing things, and I've started this new era in my life. It's not like we've just turned over a new leaf. He's saying, hey, you've actually started a new life. It sends a clear message to everybody who sees it. I've stepped across the line of faith. I'm a fully devoted follower of Christ. And if I can just say it like this, if, if we can be proud to dress up like dorks when we graduate, then we should have no problem you know, declaring to the world that we have a love for Jesus Christ. Are you with me in that? We, we need a milestone event to solidify our decision to make it significant to us. We do milestone events for every other thing in life. It's the same with our Christian walk. I'm grateful for water baptism because it meets the need for that, that milestone event in my life as a Christian. The last thing that I believe that baptism, uh, the last need it meets is our need for humility. Maybe it's pride that keeps you from being baptized. Maybe you say, I'm not doing that because that's stupid. I'm not going to put myself in front of a bunch of people and, and do that. Or I, or I don't need to do that. I don't need that in my life to show that I'm a Christian or that I'm a, I'm a good person. Did you know that, that pride is probably the biggest barrier between God and people? I, I don't think it's, it's laziness or greed or, or doubt or jealousy. That's, that's the biggest factor when it comes to separating us from God. I think it's pride because pride is the me factor. Pride is the thing that lifts me up and it, it, it lowers God down. It, it, pride keeps us in charge. It's the idea that we get to decide what's best. It's, it's I decide if that's right for me, not anyone else. But you know what I've realized? I've realized there is no I in God's presence. When it comes to me and God, when I stand before him in any, any way, I'm, there is no me. Unless I'm perfect, which means I'm not human, then he's always going to know more, and he's always going to be more than me. I was at a training one time. I, I used to be a worship pastor years ago, and I was at a training for audio and for sound. And... Uh, the church that I was at, they, they paid a lot of money for me to go to this, this really great training. It was called Sin Odd Con. It was short for Synergetic Audio Concepts. And I knew I was in way over my head when I read the name of the conference. And so I go, and there's this guy named Pat Brown, and he's teaching the class. And evidently, th this guy is a guru. Not, not just that. That's kind of selling it short. He was the apprentice of the man who actually wrote the very first book on the, on the, on the, on the topic of sound. Um, in this context, he's what you would call a genius. And the minute I began to hear him talk, um, I had to kind of tune my ears to what sounds like regular English to this, <laughs> these audio concepts he was saying. I was like, man, this guy is a genius. Just to kind of put it in perspective, uh, loudspeaker companies, the companies that make the speakers that are hanging in the ceiling, uh, he's the guy that they send their equipment to before they ever go to market to test it out. And he takes their, his input and his advice on what they should do to make it better. Um, well-known, very respected in the business. So he's, this is the kind of caliber person that's teaching this class. And I'm sitting there, and uh, during the training, there's this guy sitting on aisle two, row 
five, seat four, whatever it is, just some no name, and he keeps raising his hand, and he keeps trying to interject. At first, I'm thinking that he has a question. He keeps interjecting his own input. He keeps interjecting his own ideas about, about the class, about sound, and eventually, at first, you know, at first it's okay. Eventually, we're going, okay, we've all paid money to hear the expert, and all we're doing is being interrupted by the novice. And somebody finally said, hey, can you please stop asking questions? <laughs> like, can you please stop, stop talking? We're, we're, we're trying to hear him. And after a while, I just got to thinking, you know, it's not like how arrogant does somebody have to be to come into a classroom of an expert professional in the field and demand that he listen to their input? <laughs> like how arrogant do you have to be? The fact is, is I can't come into the presence of a perfect God and demand that he know what I think is best. He can't. That's, that's called pride. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 5 that God opposes the proud. He opposes the proud. And, and you think, well, he's just so high and mighty, he's just going to lightning bolt the proud. That's, that's, not, that's not it. You're getting the wrong context. The reason why he opposes the proud is because pride keeps you from him. It keeps, it keeps you from the very thing that he loves the most, a relationship with you. And when you exalt yourself in any kind of fashion above him, by the way, pride is the opposite of humility. When you lift yourself up, it puts a barrier in between the thing that he loves most. That's the relationship. And it's not that he opposes you. He opposes the pride that, that you're giving. He, he, he wants you to squash the pride. He wants you to lower the pride. Humble yourself and lift him up. That's why John the Baptist said, I've got to become less and he's got to become greater. I've got to lower me and lift him up. Lowering the pride, all of a sudden it connects you to God the Father. So it's not that he just opposes you, he opposes the pride because it keeps you from him. And he loves you. And he says, God opposes that. But listen, he gives grace to the humble. There is this unmerited favor that he gives to people that humble themselves and come to him. And so he encourages us. He says, humble yourselves then. They're under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. God is the only one that when you lower yourself and let God do it, then eventually he is going to lift you back up. That, that's the beauty of serving a God. Pride is a barrier between you and him. But God lifts up the humble. He lifts up the ones that lower themselves. And baptism meets our need to be humble. It does. Not only are you declaring that your way of things is over, when you step up and you declare that, hey, I'm, I'm not just being baptized today, but I'm actually declaring that I've given God my life. It, it's a statement of humility. It's a, it's a declaration of being humble. But not only that, just if, very practically speaking, it's difficult to maintain pride whenever you're soaking wet and you're, you did all your hair and did all your makeup or you did whatever, and now you're soaking wet and everybody else isn't. <laughs> that, that's kinda, it's like a pride extinguisher, right? Uh, but that's just kind of the funny way of saying it. But the fact is, is that God gives grace to the humble. And baptism meets our need to be humble. It definitely plays a role. And I'm grateful for baptism. Baptism, it, it, it meets our need to express our faith. It meets our need for a milestone event in our Christian life. Baptism, it, it meets our need to be humble. And I don't know if any of these resonate with you. Maybe you're sitting here and you're going, you know, that, that, that doesn't resonate with me at all. Let me tell you the bottom line. God said do it. And so we should. For some of you, this is your next step. And quite honestly, you need to take that next step and stop trying to reason with yourself the reasons why you should or shouldn't. You're, you're still holding on to the choice. You're still holding on, if I may be as bold as to say so lovingly, you're still holding on to the pride that's separating you from God. The fact is 
if none of that makes sense to you, God said do it and we should just do it because he said so. There was a, a man a while back that was trying to get his kids to do things and he would tell them to do things and it got to the point where they just begin to ask why. Everything he asked to do them to do, why? Especially teenagers, you know what I mean? I don't know why, but they just have some great ideas. They just need you to know what they are. I don't know what it is. But he would say, you know, do this and the kids would say, why? 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 They were good kids, but it's just very natural. They, they want to know why. And finally, the dad looked at him and said, listen, I, I want to answer your questions. I really do. But first, I need you just to say, yes, sir. <laughs> I, I, need to, I need to know that you're going to listen and obey, and then we can talk about the why. And it was funny because he trained them, and this was their response after that. He would ask them to do something, and they would say, yes, sir, daddy. Why? <laughs> it was, I'll answer your questions, but I need to hear you say yes, sir, first. I need to know that, that you're acknowledging the fact that I know what's best, even if you don't understand it. I need you to acknowledge that first and then walk in obedience, and then we can ask the questions. A lot of times we, we ask God why, why, why before we ever take the first step of faith and believe him that he is actually saying this for our good. God doesn't mind answering your questions. I think that's where some of the hiccup is. We think, well, we're just supposed to do it because God said it and never question. No, I believe we do question God. Not from a judgment standpoint, but we, we engage with God. God doesn't mind your questions as long as those questions are along the path of obedience. Meaning I'm taking one foot in front of the other and I'm putting my feet down and walking this path, believing him. And as I walk, I'm going, man, God, I don't get this. As I'm walking, God, I don't, I don't understand why I'm doing this or why you're asking me to do it. I believe that you, you have my best interest in mind. I believe that whatever happens, you know, I'm, it's for my benefit. But Lord, I don't get it. Can you please shed some light on this for me? And I, sh I, I research in his word. I talk about it with people that I trust that are godly further along than I am. But all the while, my feet never stop walking. I, I say to him, just like the father expected of his kids, yes, sir, God, but why? Ask the questions, but do it on the path of obedience. Not standing still with your feet planted, with pride in between you and him saying, prove it first, God, and then I'll take a step. That's called arrogance. That's called pride. And God opposes the proud. But when I put one foot in front of the other in obedience, I'm lowering myself and raising God up. That's humility. That's being humble. And God gives grace to the humble. Maybe even grace enough to answer the very questions that you have. But it's along the path of obedience. Can I tell you a soft truth today? That the number of people around here that say that they've said yes to Jesus Christ and are living for him, does not match the number of baptisms that we have at this church. It doesn't. And what that tells me is there's a number of you that have said yes to Jesus Christ, but you have not made the commitment to do what Jesus said and be baptized. And I'm, I'm not saying that you have to be baptized here. That's not what I'm saying. But the reality of you for, is that some of you, baptism is your next step and you've been putting it off. Maybe it's, if I'm just being completely honest in love, maybe it's the pride that says I'm still holding on to that decision for myself or I'll decide when I'm ready. And you just need to be reminded today that it's not an option, not for the believer. Jesus said, do it. And so we need to do it. If you've committed your life to Jesus, then baptism is your next step. We're doing them on November 18th, right here in this building. And there's a place on your connect card that says, I'm interested in baptism. If you've never done that, or if it's been a long time and you, you want to do that again, look, specifically if you've never done it, then that's your next step. And as your pastor in love, I'm saying you need to do it, not because I'm saying it, but because Jesus said do it. You need to make that public declaration of your faith. 
His commands that he gives us aren't just simply so that we'll obey them. His commands are not just for the sake of obedience, but as Proverbs says that his commands bring joy to our hearts. His commands give us insight for life. They give us wisdom and they, they meet our needs. I love it how it goes further to say there's reward for those who obey his commands. And in time, I believe without a shadow of a doubt, if we, if we do that, if we walk in obedience, we will find ourselves being grateful for the command. I, I want to pray with us before we go, and then I'm going I'm to cut you loose. Can we pray together? God, I'm, I'm grateful for your commands. Lord, it's not always easy to say that because our human senses immediately ask questions. And Lord, I, I thank you for debunking the myth today that you somehow don't want our questions. You just want our obedience. That would make you a very legalistic God, and that is not who you are. You are so relational, you died for the relationship. So just debunk that myth, Holy Spirit. It's in our hearts right now. You, you're not just never wanting us to ask questions, but you're wanting us to ask questions on the path of obedience. And God, as believers today, we, we're sorry for demanding answers before we obey. No parent would, would, would put up with that from their kids. We can understand at least that. So we know you as an almighty God, perfect and holy and majestic, but yet love us so much you laid your life down for us. Lord, we're not going to demand answers before we do something. We're going to walk in obedience because your word says it. And if we have questions, we know you'll be glad to entertain them. So God, anybody in the room today who's not taken that step, I just, I pray for boldness in them. That before they leave the room, Lord, they'd, they'd fill out that connect card or they'd go on the website or the app and sign up for baptism. To, to not, not for number's sake, not just so that we can preach something and something happen. God forbid that but that, that so they can have their needs met, so that they can obey, so that they can find themselves grateful. God, so that they can have that milestone in their Christian walk to look back on. And as Paul says, we've, we've been raised with Christ. And, and Peter said that it's like we've, we've made this declaration no longer to go back. I pray they experience that in the name of Jesus. Lord, for those who have, who have been baptized, I, I pray we, we remain grateful that it wouldn't just be something in the past that we did at one time that kind of makes us something, but that we would, we would stand on it as a foundation saying, that's the day that I declared to the world that my faith in Jesus Christ was real. That's the day that I declared to the world that I left my old way of doing things. That's the day that I made it public. That's the day that I went forward in life with everyone watching to say, I've, I've left my old life and I'm, I've, been, I've been grafted into the new with the blessings of God. Ultimately, with Jesus Christ, my Savior, dwelling on the inside of me through the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we love you. And there may be people listening to my voice or sitting in this room that have never said yes to you, that have never given their life to you. And if, if that's you, if you're listening to me, maybe over the internet or a podcast or you're right here in the room and you've never given your life to God or, or it's been a long time and you're, you know you're living far away from him, you know you're not living under his lordship. God is saying you're not listening to this through any medium for nothing. Today I have you here to hear this. I love you and I want you to return to me and I'm giving you the option right now. Would you turn your life over to me? Would you lower yourself? Would you lower your pride and let me be the one to lift you up? Would you, would you lower your way of doing things and, and take on my commands, understanding that I know what's best for you? Would you let me save you? 
That's Jesus' word to you today. That's not me speaking. That's him speaking to you. And so if that's you today, then you would be bold enough to say yes to that. And my prayer is, is that you are. I wonder if you would just agree to this prayer in your heart. Maybe you want to pray it out loud, but, but God hears your heart as you give your life to him. I wonder if you'd pray this prayer. Jesus, I need you. And it's not enough to admit that. So I give my life to you. I want to hold on to what you say. I, I don't want to do this myself anymore. And the parts of me that do want to do it myself, I submit that to you as well. Help me, Jesus. I believe that you are the Son of God and that you, you did die for my sins. You lived a perfect life and you died for me because I'm not perfect. And nothing I could do that's seemingly good could earn the worthiness of God. Nothing. So I accept you, Jesus, as my perfection. I believe you really came to this earth. I believe you really died for me and spilled your blood for me, which is what sin demanded. You paid that price for me. I believe that you really died, but that you really rose again and you're in heaven right now. I want to live for you, not just as my Savior, but as my Lord. Thank you for saving me. But I want to live for you as my Lord. So take my life. I'm not perfect, but take it. Show me. I want to get into your word. I want to follow you, Holy Spirit. Show me. I believe you're going to show me what I need to know to live this life that you've called me to live. And one day, be in front of you face to face when you say to me, well done, my good and faithful servant. Let's celebrate together. In Jesus' name. Amen.